Following a partner to a foreign country, new city or rural community can impact your career, network and access to continuing education. Brunch is a podcast from the Trailing Spouse Co, where I, your host Joe Palmer, chat with trailing spouses from all over the world. Brunch is a chance to meet trailing spouses, hear their stories, the highs, the lows, as well as advice, tips and tricks to get the most out of your trailing spouse experience. In this episode, I speak with Hina, an Indian who grew up in the US, who then spent 12 years as an expat in Singapore before returning to Chicago where she grew up. Hina talks about her experience moving abroad and about how actually moving to another country, she felt a real sense of belonging. Hina also talks about the reverse culture shock she experienced moving home that was particularly exacerbated during the pandemic. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Hello, Hina. Thank you so much for joining me this morning. Thank you, Joe. So nice to see you. So you too. It's so good. Okay. Tell me, who are you? Where are you from? And where are you based now? Wow. Who are you is always, it's a loaded question, isn't it? 100%. Like, who are you? Come on. Deepest, darkest (laughs) thoughts. Really? Who are you? Um, So my name is Hina Petroda and I am a mother of two. I say that first because that has brought me the most joy in my life and really had me change and transform to all the things I am now. And as far as a career or work, education, I am a board certified health and wellness coach. I'm also a certified mindfulness teacher, a self-compassion teacher and laughter. I incorporate all of those to support mothers and multicultural global expat mothers in to bringing joy and confidence into their mothering so they can have those loving relationships they want forever with their kids. Oh my gosh, that's so nice. I feel like I need to probably book a session in with you. <laughs> <laughs> my poor children. <laughs> um, so tell us, where are you from originally and where are you finding yourself based these days? I am currently in Chicago and I'm originally from, let's see, do you want me to go down the hole? Um, (laughs) Please. I'm originally from India. I'm born in India and I lived in India for 11 years. And in those 11 years, I moved to two different places. So I was born in a small village where the cows actually did come home. We had two of them. (laughs) Um, and so you're like a, you're a proper you're a proper farm rural gal. Well, <laughs> kind of. And then um, and then we moved to a bigger city over there in the west of India. This I was born in the southeast and then moved to the west. And after that, we moved to the U.S. when I was about twelve years old. And I sort of grew up here in those teen years, university. And I moved to Singapore then after I was married and had two very young kids. So about almost three and almost six. So they were very young. And we moved to Singapore and we lived there for 12 years. And we uh, moved back to Chicago 
in the middle of the pandemic in 2020, August. Yeah. <laughs> Fun times. So tell me, were you in Chicago before? Like, for, or Is that where you grew up in the U.S. or elsewhere in the U.S.? Yeah, I was, you know, we first came and we were in a suburb and then I lived in the city ever since I was about 18. I went to university in the city and I've just, I lived there until Singapore. Yeah, interesting. So talk me through career-wise, what did you study at university and then what sort of happened career trajectory? Career, oh, uh, let's see. Um, I... My bachelor's, I have a bachelor's degree in psychology. And I worked in that field for a little while until I had children. And when I had children, then I decided, we decided together that it was best for me. I wanted to be home. I wanted to take care of the kids. And, you know, unlike Singapore, for instance, it's like crazy. It's crazy for mothers in the U.S., because you are working and you're doing everything else. There's no help. You know, you, you, it's really difficult to get household help on a continuous basis or a daily basis. And you put your kids in daycare. So, and daycare is expensive and you have to decide, right? Is it worth me making the money I do at work to put my kids in daycare for so much money where somebody else is raising them? So, I decided it was best, you know, for, for us and in our situation. So I stayed home with the kids, but then we moved to Singapore. So then of course it was like really difficult, right. To, to work there as an expat. I'm sure I could have tried harder, of course, but you know, I didn't. So, <laughs> so what did your, what did your life look like in Singapore? So you arrived with the kids were relatively small still. So how did you yeah. find sort of transitioning because that's a pretty big change. So, you know, Indian roots, American sort of key sort of learning and growing stages of yes. life and then and then ending up in Asia. What was that like? It was, I mean, it was a really amazing experience that I wish everybody could have, right? And that's that's what I start out with. But of course there's all that stuff underneath, right? There's let's look under the iceberg sort of analogy here. Um, I, you know, I will say that when you move from India, like I grew up my, my uh, seminal years there, let's say up till 11. So there's so much forming of who you are and what you learn, the language, the culture, behavior. And then you move to the US and you're still, you're a teenager almost. And you are in this new country. And at the time, um, it, was, it was a little while back. So you're in this new country and what you're trying to do is you're trying to assimilate. You're trying to sort of take that eraser and erase who you were in India because you want to fit in. You try to eat the foods everybody does, right? My family in India, we'd never seen meat. We moved to the US and we we're like, okay, tacos. I don't know what this is. It has B from Santa, right? So you're this is just what we now eat. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So you're just assimilating in so many ways, but underneath there's always that it builds a bit of confuse, confusion, right? And then you take that and you move to Singapore. So for me, I felt like 
maybe a third culture mom, right? Third culture parenting is sort of how I felt because I'm grown up here. My husband is uh, American, so he has a different culture as well. And then we're raising children in this third culture. So of course it was different from my parents. My parents came, they had very little means and we really struggled. So that was different from how we moved to Singapore where my husband had a job and you know everything else that goes along with it in Singapore. So there were definitely challenges. Mm. I wonder, can you, cause you've had quite a long stint here. Can you talk me through what sort of like, well, hang on. So you've been back. Okay. So you, okay. So we're talking about 15 years ago that you arrived in Singapore. Tell yes. me what the, the scene, the expat scene was like, as far as you being able to make friends or to sort of get moving with your own sort of network and things here. Yeah, so it was 2008. We moved in 2008 and Singapore is so different even by the time we left, right? 12 years later, there's just so much development. There's so many things uh, that are available that weren't available back then. So expat scene, I would say, you know, initially I tried, of course, I wanted to not just hang, hang out with expats and Americans. I wanted to be open. I know that's a way to feel comfortable in a new culture and a new environment is you try to make, uh, you try to make friends with who the locals are. Of course, it's difficult when your kids are at the American school and you live in this condo where it's difficult to meet a lot of locals. So there were a lot of expats in the condo that we lived in. So in that way, it was really nice. You know, there was a nice pool and everybody sort of came out there evenings on Friday and you got to know each other. And of course, everyone's in the same boat. So people are open to making friends and talking. And so th that part was that part was nice. It was easy. However, it's still a shock to the system, right? because it's not your friends you've had for so long in your life. You don't have family. You don't have that support system that is reliable. So that makes it a little exciting, but in the same time, very challenging because you're just getting to know people, right? It's constant dating, almost like you're dating other couples, you're dating other potential women friends and getting to know them and so you're just in a different mental state and that's, that's challenging. Mm. I don't know if you experienced this, but I definitely found that, um, look, I have totally been owning in more recent years, my ability and superpower to make friends. And <laughs> what I found was that when I got to Singapore was that my ability to make friends sort of continued, but my sort of stepping it up a gear as far as what you were willing to ask of people that were very new friends, as far as support and could you like give me a hand with the kids or, or meeting people for the first time and say, do you want to come for dinner at our house tomorrow? Like I would <laughs> yes. never do that in Australia, but I feel that things were, yes, it was like dating, but it was like speed dating and like <laughs> you got married very quickly to these friends. Did you find yes. that as well? Yeah, absolutely. Right. I, and I remember that when you say that somebody we'd met some friends and after one coffee, it was like, do you want to come over for some pizza with the kids? And then you hang out for like four or five hours. It's really that's not how you make friends in your 
home country, so to say, right? No. But I think that there's something that I think I will definitely take with me into different places that we move to and and when we eventually go back home is that Mm. I'm going to actually try and do that more, especially with people that are new to town. Like, you know, we live in a rural area and I know that um, our bigger town has quite the reputation for being quite clicky and that it's quite actually hard to, to get involved and to make new friends and things because, you know, a lot of the time people have been there for a lot longer and they've already got yeah. their established yeah. friends and they're not actually that interested in like, you know, it it seems a bit of a chore or a bit of an effort to embrace new people and families and, yes. and bring them in. But I think that's going to be something that I'm going to be very conscious of is that how much I enjoyed it and how it just helped me absolutely thrive here with people just being like, yeah, sure, come over or yeah, come for a swim or to do things like that. I'm going to really try and instill that into how I sort of react when when new people come to wherever I'm living moving forward. I think that that will be a really nice thing that's come out of this experience for us. Yeah, that sounds that sounds amazing. I think you should. And people appreciate it more than they show probably, right? Mm. But I think as well that it's something that we don't actually do very well in cities either. So I think like in country Mm. towns, it's generally a bit easier because you do actually run into people and you see them around. But, you know, you hear of the loneliest people are are quite often living in the middle of the biggest cities with people all around them, but just with no no connection there at all. So I can see that that's that's a challenge as well. Now, I want to swing back around into tell tell me about when you sort of were like, okay, I want to start doing something and what is that going to look like? Talk me through the process of how you landed to where you're doing, like what you're doing now. Sure. Um, so I, you know, as I said, I wasn't working for a while in Singapore and I was doing something with my time, right? The kids are off at school. I made sure that I was home when they came home because that was such a gift to have this time with your kids where you don't have to maybe cook dinner or do the laundry and you can be with your kids and have this connection with them. And also, as you know, though, in Singapore, when they can be independent much earlier than at least compared to the US, you don't let your 10-year-old get on the bus or the train over here. So over there, you know, they were independent a lot earlier when they're 12, maybe if they want to go to their play or whatever extracurricular activities they were in, I just found myself having more time. So I thought, okay, I wanted to go back to school. I wanted to go and get a master's because I am thinking long-term, right? There's so many years, they're going to go to university. And then what do you do? So you're also, they're about to cost you a huge amount of money as well. So the idea of doing something that's going to make some money to pay for that. (laughs) Yes, that is a very important point. Absolutely. (laughs) So, (laughs) So, yeah, I thought, you know, I will go back in the same track and perhaps I will do a master's in psychology, maybe focusing on families like marriage, family therapy or something along those lines. And Doing my research, while I was doing the research, I came upon on coaching and health coaching. And I actually talked to a coach. I found a coach and I ta- I had talked to her and she had some really important questions for me that helped me to direct myself, right? One of the things was, well, what is it that you think about 
And what is it that you talk about or read about or watch? What, what are those things? And when I put that together, for me, that was, you know, I think about my health. I think about how I feel. I think about how my kids feel. I think about connecting to them and the relationships and all of that. And it came down to, yes, I think about keeping healthy, that longevity and keeping joyful, right? We don't just want a long life. We want a long life where we can still do things that we want. So I did some more research and then I came upon this amazing program that I did my master's. It was really solid, really thorough, and it's a two-year program in uh, health and wellness coaching. So I went and for that. You, oh, sorry, go. Sorry, interrupt you there. <laughs> no, no, I was that's okay. Say, I, I tend to go on. <laughs> no, no, I was just going to say, so did you, you did that while you were in Singapore and was that like a, a like an in-person stuff or were you training online? Like what did that sort of study experience look like? Because I always find it really yeah. interesting when people are like, okay, well, I do have extra time now that I'm doing this, that I've relocated, whether it's overseas or yeah. to a different area or whatever. So did you actually go like to in-class classes? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, I did online. It was actually all online at a university that's in the US. It's a Maryland University of Integrative Health. And it was uh, wonderful. It was difficult. You know, going back to school after that long, long break, it really, it's really not easy, especially now, like when I went back to school, of course, everything was technology, right? First of all, everything was online mm -hmm. and then all the other elements that go along with all the technology. So talk me, talk me through what else was hard, because I think sometimes when people are like, okay, I've got this time, I should go back and I should study. And then they're like, here are all the excuses. Like, I would love to hear what was hard, but then I would love to sort of hear about some of your strategies to work around that. Because I think it's such an amazing opportunity for a lot of people is to like, okay, exactly those questions your coach asked you, what do I want to do? And what am I thinking about? Like, this is an amazing opportunity to quite often retrain, yeah. but a lot of people don't do it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's natural, right? That fear is natural. You're just putting yourself in this place of discomfort. And you also have to think about how was the university for you, right? When you did bachelor's previously, how was it? And now you're diving back in as an adult, like real, real adult, you know, mm. with kids and family, and you have all these other responsibilities, so the tech stuff was definitely hard and having that habit of studying and writing papers, right? And talking to other students. I mean, I had, it was a master's program, but I had classmates who had PhDs and something else, right? So you're putting yourself in the situation that is so uncomfortable. All the doubts come out, right? You constantly doubt yourself. <laughs> I am going to call you on that, though. While I'm sure there was PhD people, I'm sure there was also people that had come straight out of their undergrad, straight into it as well. Were they there as well? Yes. Yes, absolutely. But you focus on the PhDs, right? 100%. Because <laughs> 100%. That person is going to do so much better, uh, going to write such a better paper than I ever could. So, yeah, so I think those were the challenges, you know, the, the easy part, the strategies, of course, was 
what do I tell my kids? Like my kids are, my kids are in high school and it's that whole modeling, right? I felt like with all of my parenting, part of it has been that modeling. If I can't do what I'm asking them to do, then I can't, there's no backup. I mean, I can't back that up with my own actions Then it means nothing. So sort of, I would sit with my kids when they did homework and be like, okay, I have to write this paper. I have this homework as well. And we just would sit together, which was a nice thing and do homework together. So mm. that worked really well. That's quite nice, actually. I'm finding that that when my I've got two girls that are in primary school, but when they come home and they do their homework, I've been getting them to come in and, and do it in the office with me. And so they, I keep, I get them like another hour of work in and they can, um, yeah. they can be sitting in there. I hadn't actually thought of that. It was more so I could like crack the whip and make sure they were doing it rather than them seeing me actually doing some work. <laughs> but they were seeing you as well, right? Right. True, true, true. Yeah. So then, um, so it was a two-year, two-year course. I'm assuming did as part of that, did you have to sort of, um, be racking up some hours doing face-to-face -face things with with clients and pro bono stuff? Like, what did that sort of look like? Yeah, they do have a certain requirement because you know coaching. There's so many coaching programs, and I'm sure there are many great coaching programs, um, but coaching, unlike at least I will say compared to the US, right? There's licensing bodies that you are a licensed therapist or you're a licensed psychologist. So there's regulations and ethics that you follow. So in the coaching, there is a couple of different bodies and I know there are other international bodies. So we have the National Board of Health and Wellness Coaches in the US. And of course there's the, the ICF as well, the International Coaching Federation. So my school, um, was my school is accredited and it was um how what's the word i'm looking for you know it worked with both of those so there were hours that i had to complete and meet their their standards for practice so yes we did we did that while i was in a school and also before i got my board certification you sit for your board exam you need a certain number of hours to sit for that as well. Yeah. So going to the the like the sorts of people that you see and that you work with, when you're like, well, I should not assume, but I do, when you're working with, um, sorry, I'll rephrase that. <clears throat> when you are work, hang on, I'm going to rephrase that as well. <laughs> Um, talk me, talk me through some of the people that you find that you're working with these days. So, you know, I, I love working with mothers. I will say that's where, um, my central focus is. However, I focus on mothers to build these relationships and have this confidence and have this joy. And one of the ways is to address the stress, Right. Stress comes in so many forms. Stress affects your health and well-being. So it is something really important to address. So I would say I, I do work with a lot of mothers. However, I also get everyone, usually I'm going to say people over the age of 30 like that I work with that have different anxieties and stresses in their lives 
who may or may not be working with a therapist, because if I'm working in that capacity, you know, I, I'm not a therapist. So I have to make sure that they're working with somebody who deals with a mental health issue, if that's what they have. But given that someone has taken care of that, then I work with people who are addressing stress, lifestyle, behavior changes, you know, mindset around getting those good habits as well, because you need good habits to change what you're doing so that you can reduce stress. Mm. So when, so at what stage do you, of your 12 years in Singapore did you sort of finish up and get your qualification? I finished in 2019. Oh, okay. So you didn't have a huge amount of time in Singapore before it like locked down and then you guys moved to the US. Yes, yes, exactly. I had, I had a, I had about a year and I was working there for a year. I'd found a wonderful group that, um, that I worked with. So, but unfortunately mm. we had to move. Yeah. So with that group, were you finding that you were dealing with expats and people with trailing spouse experiences? You know, to be honest, I didn't get a really large number of clients while I was there because I was still building up my practice. And part of that I spent, you know, working with this group and then trying to, I would say the second half of the year actually was done preparing for the moving back, right? Because we already knew. So most, I the clients that I had were more local actually than, than expats over there. Yeah, interesting. Interesting. So I guess that this, I'm just totally taking advantage of the fact that you've got these qualifications and experiences and like pumping you for information while we've got you on here. Even though this is supposed to be about supposed to be about your trailing spouse journey. Um I guess if my I'm always sort of thinking that there is opportunities for people to to take like to to have some takeaways when they they've been listening to to the podcast and for them mm. to sort of ponder things do you um do you have any sort of things that have been i guess common themes that you could relate to the trailing spouse experience considering that you experienced it yourself and mm-hmm. anything it wasn't you were not so much, a, a, but you were a, a trailing child as well. That you, yes, you, yes. You, you, you immigrated to another country and you experienced it from the kids' point of view as well. So I guess that yes. you've got quite a unique experience in this, this concept of, of knowing what moving to a new country and quite a dramatically different cultural move, what that looks like. And that's such a, a theme for so many people. But do you have advice that you can sort of retrospectively sort of draw on your own experience of being that child, but that you would give to people that are, um, you know, that are maybe doing this for the first time or that are, are finding challenges around that that parental child relationship when you relocate somewhere? Hmm. Let's see. I would start off by saying that I do not prefer to give advice. (laughs) Well played. (laughs) (laughs) However, however, because that is my first rule as a coach, nobody takes advice. Nobody likes it, right? I would say that doing, getting to know yourself, doing that inner work, so to say, is really important 
and it's a really important foundation, right? Knowing what makes you happy, knowing what makes you unhappy, that's just as important because I think as expats or parents, we sort of are forced and we just go along with something, right? Because it's just something to do. Like, why not? You know, this person is really not, doesn't seem to be going along with me or something, but I'm going to go and I'm going to do this thing for whatever reason, just to be out of the house. But at the end of it, we find ourselves unhappy or something disconnects us from ourselves as well. So I would say that, um, let me think. Respect is a word that comes to mind. You know, respect for yourself is very important to know this is what I like to do and not just in that selfish way, but you have so much time here, maybe in this country and how do you want to spend that time? Maybe where do you want to grow? And respect for your children is especially coming. I can, you know, my Asian culture as well, respect to your kids sounds really not right. However, I found through my journey that when you respect, kids are so innocent and they're so open and they're honest, right? They're pretty honest, except maybe they're going to lie about that candy they just had or something, but they want to be close to you. You are all they have until a certain age and they really want to be close to you. So if you can respect that in them, it goes a long way in them learning to respect themselves. And that sort of comes around in a circle. Well, I know that that wasn't advice, but that's a great tip. <laughs> I'll call it a tip. <laughs> yes. I mean, there's so much more, but you know, that's, those are some things that come to mind, but I think it, it is important to spend time with yourself and not for it to sound a bit, you know, wishy-washy, but to know, to know yourself, because I think especially when you move the first time, you just don't know. It's you're bombarded with a new culture and this and that, and your whole physiological system is in a stress mode because this is all new. You have no friends. You have, you don't have any comfort. But if you go in knowing, having that knowledge, so to say, like this is going to be very uncomfortable, and how mm. do I deal with discomfort? Right, that's a good question. Yeah. Okay. Well, I was, my next question is always sort of, is there advice that you would give to to people that are either starting their trailing spouse journey or that are, are relatively new in there? But I think that that's, you've sort of nailed it there. Is there anything that you wish that you had known before you made that move initially? I wish I would have known a lot of things. I wish I would have known the challenges, right? The challenges of making friends, the challenges of simple things. Like for me, it was learning to drive on the other side, right? How, how am I going to um, find my way around? I feel like I'm directionally challenged. So I came from Chicago where all the streets are on a grid. It starts at zero. Every block is, you know, this eighth of a mile. And then you come to Singapore and I get lost. So it's the details 
I think it's hard to know the details, even if you come for a visit, right? Like you have a week, go check it out, get check out the schools, check out an apartment. That week or whatever time you have doesn't give you an idea of the details. Mm. So just knowing, really knowing how do I deal with difficulty? What do I do? What are my strengths? Really zoning in on your own strengths that will serve you in discomfort. I love that. That's great advice. That's great advice. Well, you know, I really could sit and listen to you all day, but I'm conscious that that, <laughs> that I, I can't do that. But I really, oh, I really you. love that. I think that 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 self awareness around, um, like, what what you do and how you react to stressful or to, even not as stress, it doesn't even have to be as extreme as that as as discomfort. And I think that that's a really that's really interesting a really interesting concept to sort of to ponder. So there you go, listeners. That's your little gold nugget that she was willing to give away, not as, as advice. <laughs> <laughs> well, my, my company has my three words that I really extend, you know, expanded when you, when I work with people is the awareness, compassion and connection. Mm, I like that. Really three things. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's cool because they sort of that sort of lines up with the the sort of key things that we're looking at with the with the trailing spouse co is that career and your connection and then capacity building. So that connection and and learning and being able to sort of like to bring those things in. I feel like mushing those six together would actually be quite a good angle. So thanks. I might watch this space. <laughs> absolutely thank you thank thank you you so much for your time much appreciated coming back in on the end of this recording (laughs) because after we stopped recording we kept talking and it started going down a very interesting line of conversation that I actually thought would be really interesting to include in this conversation and it was around that concept of of belonging and I I sort of was just asking about what those initial years were like as far as 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 your time in Chicago do you want to just quickly go back over what that sort of looked like for you arriving and there already being some family um in Chicago like Indian mm-hmm. family but what did that sort of look like for you being the the sort of odd one out at school and, and what that looked like into high school oh my goodness yeah, that was quite a journey because I remember, you know, I, I studied English for a few years before we came to the U.S. And my first day in in school, my teacher just asked my name and I didn't understand her because you, you learn in this formal way, right? And the accent and everything, I just completely didn't understand. But like my high school, I try to think it was it was in a very affluent neighborhood, And we were, you know, my parents, of course, moved us there because it was a good high school in this neighborhood. And we were, I think, one of maybe five or six Indian kids. And I, you know, you gravitate towards them because that's how we work as human beings. You go to something that's familiar, especially in a new environment. However, I still didn't feel like I belonged with them because a lot of them come from families that were here a long time ago and they were established and they just had a different lifestyle. You know, their parents were established with professional careers and uh, we were struggling. So we were in two different camps. So that belonging piece has really sort of evaded 
me my whole life, mm. I think. So what I'm really interested to then hear about is like, did you find then when you got to Singapore where you saw so many more faces that looked like yours and that you, for those, for those of you that haven't spent any time in Singapore, there is a huge, huge Indian population that has been here for generations. They are Singaporean Indians that are are very much an established um, part of the community here um, in Southeast Asia. And so um, I, and where I actually live near Little India in Singapore. And (laughs) so um, we, we have a very amazing blend of faces that are sort of mainland Chinese to Malays to Thais to Cambodians, but then um, sort of more East Asians with Indians uh-huh. and Sri Lankans and Pakistanis. Like we we see lots of different faces here, which sounds quite different to what your early early life years were like in, in Chicago. Yeah. So how did you find that here? It was so refreshing, Joe. I have to tell you, my first Diwali there, I couldn't believe it. I felt like, wow, I can belong here. You know, I hadn't seen lights and celebration or do you want to do you want to fill people in on that who aren't familiar with Diwali? Yeah. So, you know, Diwali is our big Indian holiday to without going into the specific. It's a festival of lights, as it is known, and there's a whole story behind it. And in India, it's celebrated in a big way. And I never saw that in the US. You know, the schools don't have the day off. First of all, my kids had day off for Diwali at the Singapore American School. And I was like, what? That's amazing. Like We can actually do something. And then you go by Little India and you see all the lights and even even on Orchard, right? There are lights during Diwali. And it's like, Singapore is including us. We are part of Singapore. Like Indians belong in Singapore, which is not something you find here because even maybe it's changed a little bit after so many years, but it's still odd. It's well, let's, let me say it this way. It's not surprising if you tell somebody, you know, it's, it's Diwali and they will say, Oh, um, what is that? And just ask more questions about it because the schools don't acknowledge it. You know, workplaces generally don't acknowledge it. Um, so you don't, you feel like, okay, that's you, not for me. In defense of the US, in defense of the US, I um I was completely ignorant to the holiday myself as well until we moved here. I didn't I didn't know about the festival. Again, our kids got to get a public holiday here for that as well. And we have a really big Indian population in Australia. And even in our little yeah. town at home, there is a really big, really yeah. big Indian population there. And I still had had no idea about it. So my ignorance, a lot of people, a lot of people everywhere. So <laughs> I, I, I'm sympathizing with the US, but I also can totally understand that that is just what a what an amazing thing to be able to come to not even India to another country in the world that like acknowledges the culture so much. I think that that is something that they do really well here, and it means we also get huge amounts of public holidays because Singapore yes. acknowledges literally every. <laughs> religion or cultural holiday it's amazing (laughs) absolutely right like they are being inclusive my kids had days off every month it seemed every month I was like what you have have holiday again (laughs) I can't hear you oh I couldn't hear what you said no it's like I swear the more money that you pay in international Oh, I said, excuse me. I said, I'm pretty sure that the more you pay in school fees, the less they actually go to school. And that is even more so. <laughs> yes. 
I was like, can we count the days? Are you going to school enough days? I know it's crazy. Oh, well, that's so, that is just such an interesting little, I think, side note on here. And I think that that's a really interesting theme that you don't actually hear that often that, you know, that, that concept of being a trailing spouse into moving somewhere new. And you talked about, you know, those challenges of making friends and getting mm-hmm. established and stuff, but we don't often talk about for some people that it can almost be not a homecoming feeling, but actually there's whole other aspects of being in another culture that could be so much more familiar than where you've been previously, which I think is just yeah. a fascinating, a fascinating concept. Yeah, absolutely. It was. And and you would see on billboards, I would see people, Indian faces, right? That was something else that I, I don't usually see here. Yeah. And that's so interesting, isn't it? That whole concept of like that seeing yourself in places and that just makes you feel accepted and feel like you belong here that that's it's such an interesting such an interesting concept so how did you then find going back to the U.S. 12 years is a big stint here Mm -hmm. like that's a you're you're a Singapore veteran how did you find going home I have to tell you, Joe, that people would tell me other expats who'd moved around and maybe gone back home or come back. They would say, you know, it's going to be a culture shock. And I was like, ah, are you kidding? No, it's like, no, I live there. It's not going to be a culture shock. And it has been a culture shock. I mean, first of all, we moved in the middle of the pandemic, right? And just to see how the pandemic was handled in Singapore as compared to back here and what a difference it makes in the way the government takes care of that. And, you know, there were riots here, like people were breaking stores and stealing stuff in the middle of that. But outside of that, I mean, the COVID was disturbing everything everywhere, right? Outside of that, it has been a culture shock because like we talked about in that sense of belonging, you know, to come back here and then move a few steps back like my family's here and I have some good friends here, of course, but you begin to notice those details where you felt that belonging over there and then you don't over here. Mm-hmm. So it feels less like home in a way. It's it's very complex. Yeah. How have the kids found it? The kids had um the kids had a difficult time as well. Um I think my my daughter, who's older, is uh, very opinionated about how she feels about different countries. Um, so yeah, they you know they found it challenging, and they see the benefits of living in Singapore as opposed to here, right? You say, well, there's a lot of freedom in the U.S. However, for my daughter or for myself, I. I say, consider the freedom I have to be walking around 11, 12, wearing pretty much whatever I want and not feel threatened for a minute, right? In Chicago, just today, I'm reading like, I don't know, 10 different armed robberies in different neighborhoods. So that's that's a big adjustment. Yeah, I think I think it's it's interesting to sort of talk to people like yourself who have been and then gone. I think that that 
is also something that, you know, we talk so much about preparing, um, like to, to leave, to go to somewhere, but mm -hmm. we don't talk so much about the preparation that goes into going home. So did you sort of, I know you sound like you were a bit blasé with what your friends were saying about the culture shock and things. <laughs> did you, did you feel underprepared when you went back or did you underprepare the kids? Do you think? I think I was probably underprepared. Maybe a lot has to do with the fact that it was a pandemic and we couldn't really go out and socialize and live our normal lives, which was expected mm. when we came back. Mm. You know, for instance, we wanted to come back and move homes and it was, you couldn't go out and look for homes. You couldn't go and buy a house. Um, so that sort of disrupted a lot of things. So I think I do think that the timing really made things very difficult. However, certainly I would say that preparation is needed, even if you feel like you're moving back home, especially after it's been that long, because you change, right? Even if you have friends, I have friends from college, you, you have changed from your experiences and it is difficult for people to see that. It is difficult for people to connect to that. And to be honest, no one actually wants to hear about the fact that you had live-in help or that you would just pop to like Indonesia or Malaysia <laughs> for the weekend or <laughs> that like someone comes and does your nails at your house. No one wants yeah. to hear about that when you get home. <laughs> no, nobody feels sorry for you that you are complaining. I have to make my own breakfast and dinner and do my laundry like no nobody is feeling sorry for you nobody can understand you <laughs> I know and that's we can laugh at ourselves but like it's I think that is what we that sort of preparation stuff is like getting into the mindset of like you know there's this this bubble that you've been living in for however long and you like I said you did it a long time like that's yeah. a that's a stinger to, <laughs> to leave yes I had, I had a pretty big bubble <laughs> You know, and then you you come back and you realize actually, um, I felt very grateful for the experience in that way, right? You realize that what the mothers here have to do. If you have a full-time job, you still have that other full-time job at home. It is a lot of work. It is a full-time job. If you want your house clean, your clothes clean, you want to make a good healthy dinner to go shopping for that and cut the vegetables and do the dishes and keep the dental appointments and the doctors. I mean, it is, it is crazy. No wonder, like, you know, yeah, it's real. It's real. I it was recently in Australia and caught up with a, a lot of my girlfriends that I went to boarding school with and just the mm -hmm. exercise for them to get away for two nights mm -hmm. we worked out. Like I think there was maybe six or seven of us there and there was like, 15 or 16 kids between all of us and the exercise that it was for them to get like some of them onto a plane or into a car to drive for however long or, or whatever, just to be able to line up logistics to do that. I was like, Oh my gosh, I'd already forgotten about that. <laughs> <laughs> what? Why can't you just hop on a plane? Like, why is this such an effort? Just like buy your plane tickets. And they were like eye rolling at me like, Oh God, listen to us. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I know what you mean. <laughs> oh goodness. 
Oh, well, look, I'm really, I'm really pleased that we jumped back on to record this last bit because I feel like that has just been such an interesting, interesting addition to a, an already really interesting chat. So thank you again for your time. Thank you, Joe. Thanks so much. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Brunch by The Trailing Spouse Co. If you are a trailing spouse anywhere in the world, come join us. We're a place where you will find other like-minded professional trailing spouses, as well as training, education and employment opportunities. Head to thetrailingspouse.co and connect with our network. If you'd like to join me for brunch, you'll find a link on the website to register your interest for a chat. At The Trailing Spouse Co, we are passionate about ensuring that you are connected, your mind is stimulated and that you are always learning on your trailing spouse journey.